Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. At this point, it's our tradition to go around and introduce ourselves. Most all of you are on mute right now, so make sure to unmute yourself when you say your name, uh, and then remute yourself uh, for our talk. Uh, I'll start. My name is Jeff. George. I'm Donald. Matthew. I'm Tim. Richard. Um, I'm Gary. Tim. My name is Bob. I'm Tony. I'm Clint. My name is Cass. My name is Christian. My name is Mike. Jack. My name is Michael. I'm Lee. Jonathan. My name is Lee also. I'm John. I'm Kay. I'm Jesus. David Joe. I'm Samuel. Samuel. Risha. My name is Tage. Anyone else? Okay. Well, today I have the privilege of introducing our speaker, which a lot of us know from uh, previous Dharma talks, and uh, her name is Leanne Schutt. Uh, she's the Dharma heir of the ZK Blanche Hartman, uh, of ZK Blanche Hartman in the tradition of Suzuki Roshi, born into a Buddhist family of Vietnam, she began her meditation practice in the insight tradition of Spirit Rock. She was a founding member of the Buddhists of Color in 1998. Her Soto Zen training began at Tassajara Monastery, where she lived from 2002 to 2005. Afterwards, she practiced monastically in Japan and Vietnam. Drawing from her monastic experiences, she endeavors to share ways in which the deep settledness of traditional practices can be brought into everyday life. Lynn's strength as a teacher is in making Zen practice accessible to all. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for the invitation to be here with you. I, um, <clears throat> let's see, is it on speaker view? 
or do I do I do that? That's controlled by everyone's individual device. So if you want speaker view, you can have it. Anybody chooses. Okay. Only because I'm going to try this new thing where I'm going to try. Usually I'm a paper person, which I still have. And I thought, because I tend to look down then um, at the talk, I'm going to try to do it on my computer. So, um, okay. All right. So when I was asked to give the talk and if I had a topic, um, I thought about that, you know, I could give a talk about how to be in the things in challenging times. And I've given a lot of those talks. <laughs> uh, and um, so I thought gladdening the mind. I've heard that around Blanche. And, of course, I thought about Blanche a lot these days. Um, so uh, that's where I started. And. As I was uh, doing this, uh, getting ready for this talk, formulating the talk, I um, thought about how we're asked to shelter in place, all this social distancing. Um, and I know that for me, whenever I feel forced to do something, um, then I start to have a lot of resistance and a lot of negativeness start to arise and um and so what has always helped me and 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 in general i think for me it's been part of practice is to be able to reframe my experience not just my reframe the past and also to reframe how i can meet um what is going on i think that there's a lot of focus in practice on being what is present, and I think that's certainly useful in that. We're talking about that in the meditation. Um, and yet when things are, especially when things are in turmoil, it's useful to be able to also direct our mind, and that's also part of practice. So and the thing is that in, I feel so much of practice is about how I see my life as a cage. So, it's, you know, I'm being... Like I have to push up against the cage is how I frame it for myself. Um, so I'm caged in and I'm always pushing then in the barrier. And so how is it that in practice we start to reframe our experience not as a cage, but as a container? How is it that I can hold the experiences of my life and not feel pressed down by it? So this is partly also why I want to talk about this. And so in, in thinking of it in that way, the um, thing I came up with, which I've been talking a lot about um, in terms of uh, I've reframed the, uh, the four noble truths um, into a much more engaged model. And one of those is the third noble truth becomes uh, where do we have agency? So today I wanted to talk about agency. And I actually wanted to talk about it as um, uh, qualities or aspects. And I love acronym. I love words. So agency is going to be now the acronym for A will be acknowledge. G is gratitude. E is engage. N is now. C is connect. And Y is yay. Right. So <clears throat> here we go. 
I hope this works for you all, or by that I mean, you know, give you some sense of how to, how can we frame our experience? Where can we place our mind? And the first is to acknowledge, right? And it seems to me that most of us are acknowledging by finding uh, the situation we're in, right, the pandemic, um, it's very much about information gathering, Right. It is true that in acknowledge, there is the word knowledge. Um, so people are I've heard so many people talk about surfing the net and watching too much TV um, in an effort to find out what's going on. And of course, of course, when there's so much that we don't know and it's scary. And um, for many of us, it also reinforces or has echoes to our past experiences of um Lack of safety. So, um, totally understandable. And don't forget that the one way that we can sense what is the condition, the second noble truth, to what can bring about the likelihood of more suffering versus less is, um, uh, obsessiveness, right? So to me, the, the, the cause of suffering are, is both the condition and one way is to know the energy of the condition. And so if the energy is obsessive, if we're so obsessive about gathering knowledge, then, then that's a good way to see, hmm, what is going on here? So, um, just being with things. So acknowledge is just to try to be with things as they are. So, um, I'm going to read now from, Achan Samedo book on the sound of silence. And this is from a chapter called Refuge in Awareness. He says, one of the reflections I found helpful for myself is to start where you are here and now to be able to recognize the way you are feeling or the state of mind you are in or your body in the present rather than operating from Quote, oh, so the book is called The Sound of Silence, and he talks about it a lot. So he says, from quote, John Samato said to listen to the sound of silence, and I don't hear anything. What did he mean by the sound of silence? End quote. That is another thought. The main point is not the sound of silence or anything else, but realizing the way it is now. So whatever mental state you're in, like wondering what Achan Samedo is talking about, if you are aware that you are thinking that, that is awareness. Listen to yourself and notice this relationship of sati, mindfulness, to the thought process or the emotional reactions you are experiencing. And then use this expression, quote, they are what they are, end quote, or, quote, it is what it is, end quote, as a way of looking not judging. So it is what it is, the suchness. I remember reading about Zen Buddhism where they talk about suchness. I thought, quote, what is suchness, end quote, because it doesn't mean all that much to me at the time. In Pali, they have the word tatha. The Buddha refers to himself as tathagata, which means suchness, that which is now. Rather than, quote, I am Gotama, the Buddha, born to Queen Maya and King Sudahana in Lumbini, and when I was born, I took seven steps on seven lotuses, end quote. 
So after his enlightenment, there was no Buddha, no Gotama, nothing, nobody, but that which is now. The suchness of that which is present now. So this word, tadata, is the sense of as isness, suchness. So to acknowledge where we are right here and right now. And because I think that sometimes I know that when I am obsessive about getting information, a lot of time I think that that will cover up or, excuse me, or take me away from my fear, my anxiety, my sadness. You know, I know that um, there's a lot of sadness because many of us, myself included, have lost jobs or opportunity at this point. Right. And my family members also. So there's a lot of emotions going on right now. So naming what is going on can be a relief. So acknowledging naming, which is a way to gladden the mind and heart. Right. Ah, it's like this. There's a subtleness. It's kind of like meeting the first noble truth. Right. In life, there is disease. I know for me, that was a, a settling understanding. And in that, there's a relief. So that's a gladdening. Now, of course, um, next is G. G is gratitude. Right? Um, gratitude was one of Blanche's main teachings, and that's why I've been thinking about her a lot. Um, and so, um, of course, uh, we, can, we have a sense of this, that gladdening, excuse me, that, that gratitude is a way to gladden our mind. So this is from Cultivating Gratitude from um, Achan Pasano. It's in a book that they, uh, that several teachers talk about gratitude. He says, on Saturday night, Achan Amaro talked to the theme of gratitude. And I'm going to speak on the same theme. Mainly because Tom, excuse me, Yam Pliang putting us up to it. She was saying that people have been teasing her that she always prints books in Thai and never print anything in English. This is in Thailand. So she started thinking ahead to the dedication ceremony of a new monk's utility building on July 4th this year. Right? She wants to print a book and um, have it be in English. So I thought it was a wonderful idea. On a certain level, just that Yom Pliang had that kind of idea, that intention is something worthy of gratitude, a sense that somebody wants to help us out. Somebody wants to do something that's a benefit to others. That's something to be grateful for. When people want to do that, we should pay attention to those things and recognize them. That's when a lot of gratitude comes, when we pay attention to others and to the efforts that they make. Also, When we put ourselves in a frame of mind that is willing to measure things, not just from our own views, perspectives, feelings, but is able to extend our perception and way of viewing things, how others feel, how they think, how they perceive, then there can be room for a lot of gratitude. There's a certain network that draws us together. Empathy arises as well. There can be a lot of gratitude that comes into the heart when we're able to really extend ourselves beyond our own feelings, our own biases, our own perspectives. That is actually a very important thing to reflect on. 
Because so often we tend to get caught up in how we feel, how we like things, what we dislike, what we want, what we don't want, and we measure the world, measure ourselves and measures others from that perspective. Inevitably, that ends up being very limiting, very cramped and crowded as we follow this attitude. It's easy drift into negativity or just not to experience a sense of expansiveness of the heart. And that doesn't give much room for gratitude. So we can see that um, gratitudes, when we note intention, your own or others, and of course the Buddha talks about the intention of non-harming, the intention of kindness and the the intention of compassion, which these days I like to frame as gentleness. So paying attention to others and the effort they make, right? Appreciation versus entitlement is another way of really knowing gratitude, right? There's so many stories out there of people doing such things to help each other, right? Right there, maybe in, I live in an apartment building, in my apartment, perhaps in your neighborhood. So, So opening up to other points of views fosters empathy, when we can understand others' experience and their motivation. One way to practice with that is to ask. Instead of assuming we know people's, what, what they're thinking or why they do what they do, to ask them. So turning our mind to gratitude as a way to counteract negative mental states, which for most of us is thinking, but of course thinking really affects the body right? and the emotions looking for benefits to the situation. Just the fact that, um, thank goodness for technology, for all of us to be here in this space from our own units. So another factor that gladdens the hard mind then is inspiration, to engage in inspiration. That's what I have for the E. There are lots of online offerings now to inspire us. I'm actually going to bring one up. It's called bravemaker.com. Um, it's a site in which they uh, have people have stories that are courageous. And so they want to encourage that. And they're very based on social justice. And I also will say that my girlfriend will be on there on Wednesday to talk about one of her pieces um, to, about the detention. So, of course, classically, though, in, in Buddhism, um, Turning to Dharma offering is a way to inspire us. Reading and listening to Dharma talks, right, or to Dharma components to inspire. In fact, to be perfectly honest, I think the only role of a teacher and of the Buddhist teaching is to inspire because Buddhism is not based upon intellectual knowledge. Buddhism is very much an experiential practice. So that is something that we basically need to be inspired to do, right? Buddhism or practicing Buddhism is just that, doing it, practicing it. So that's why, in my take, it's all about inspiration. So which takes me, of course, to N, um, in agency. And so here I want to really talk about, and it's a big part of practice, is about timeliness. So this is where the now, N is for now. I know that I myself, you know, I'm always waiting for a retreat in my life, you know, for whatever two weeks retreat I'm going to go on and supposedly, well, 
I was going to go one in May, right? Um, so what about now? I know now many of us, um, I have gotten messages from people that now that they're home, they're really being able to establish their meditation practice. So that's, that's great. So remember that on the Han or the, the board in Zen that we hit to call people to the, the Zendo, the meditation hall on it is written. Great is a matter of birth and death. All is impermanent, impermanent, quickly passing awake, awake. Don't waste this life. So it's a great time to practice. Of course, meditation is one way that we really think about as practice in the West. And I, um, as for those who were here from the beginning, to me, concentration practice is a really great one when things are difficult. This is, you have to have that stillness and subtleness before any kind of investigative meditation is useful. So, and the result of concentration is calm. You don't have to go looking for calm. You just keep on returning, coming back to a point. This is why one point of concentration is the key. Of course, you can do a combination, metta, karuna, any of the Brahma Baharas are both a concentration practice because of the repetition of the phrase, and then they gladden the mind. They're considered qualities that um, opens up the heart and mind, right? Kindness. Uh, karuna, again, these days I like to think of it as gentleness, altruistic or inclusive joy, and then equanimity. Of course, there's other practices, chanting, uh, reciting gathas when you're washing your hands or doing the dishes, which then brings me to connect. The next is C is connect. We know that isolation is, is really deadly. Um, having worked with seniors, um, I know I was, um, when I was working you know, many years ago now, I actually was working for uh, a contract with the city to house seniors that were chronically homeless, and the building was just starting. And so the whole program was very much um, about how do we keep them connected so that they come out of their rooms, of course. We're on our rooms now and we're on our home. So this is a great way to connect. The other thing I want to talk about connection is that, um, and I brought this up during the meditation, is that, um, and this came to me um, because uh, my girlfriend was talking to a friend, right? And the friend was having a hard time. And and, um, recently we just came back from, Mexico to see the gray whales and giving birth to their babies and then interacting with them. So it was really amazing, inspirational, exciting. And we get to actually, they, it's the only place in the world in San Ignacio Lagoon in Mexico where they actually come up to you and they really want to interact with you so you can touch them. So, uh, so my, we came back and my girlfriend was talking to a friend that was having a hard time, right? And so at one point, the friend said, um, you know, I'm really sorry. I, I don't mean to get you down, right? And uh, my girlfriend, Deb, said, oh, you're not going to get me down. I'm still on a high for being with the whales, right? And um, so hearing that story, two two things, you know, one is that, of course, of course, we're in the connection. It's perfectly okay for us to be in different places emotionally. Right? And there's a, there's a generosity in my 
girlfriend's friend saying, you know, hang, hang on to that, hang on to the goodness of, um, your connection with the whales, right? Just don't let that go. You know, don't lose that. I hope you don't lose that sense of, um, being with the whales. And, um, so, and also brought to me that we're afraid that we're going to lose the good things, right? We're afraid that we're going to lose our sense of awe or sense of wonder or our sense of happiness. And I, I want to remind us that, um, it's about reconnecting with these qualities because no one can take it away from you, right? Your happiness. Right? Don't forget that mindfulness, the, the base meaning of the word sati is to remember. And part of to remember is to reconnect with the, the feelings we had. You know, since I've been back from the whales, we took videos and we had the GoPro in the water and everything. And so I keep watching the videos. And, of course, it's to kind of remember how you were there, but remembering all the the feelings you had there. Hearing myself giggle, you know, with awe at the whales when it came up to me. It helped me to reconnect to that joy of being there. So connection is um, also about really connecting to ourselves and our experience. Also, this is from Blanche, since I keep talking about her. This is from her book, Seeds for a Boundless Life. And it is from the chapter called Gladdening the Mind. She said, I'd like to share with you a wonderful metaphor that occurs in the Avatamsaka Sutra, or the Flower Garland Scripture which is the sutra in which the Huiyang school is based. It is said in China, the Huiyang is the philosophy of Zen, and Zen is the practice of Huiyang. The image that I find so appealing is that of Indra's net, in which the whole universe is depicted as a vast net, and at each crossing of the threads of the net, there is a jewel. And each jewel is reflected in every other jewel. And every other jewel is reflected in each jewel. So this metaphor for the vast interconnectedness of all beings is also a metaphor for dependent co-arising. The idea that we arise in response to all of the causes and conditions of each moment, as described by the Buddha. We arise fresh in each moment in response to the causes and conditions of each moment, which is why we say each being is empty of some separate continuous entity. There is no fixedness to us. We are continually responding to the connectedness that exists among all of us. Each of us affects everyone, and everyone affects each of us. So building these bonds of Sangha are an important part of who we come to be after practicing together with each other. Those we practice will influence us, and they are influenced by us. So this brings me to the last letter in agency, which is Y. And I put Y as yay, because um, I think it's also great to remember the awe of life that life is really precious and this pandemic has really shown us the truth of how this is a very real way that life is precious and i will say that um 
When I was giving the instruction, I did not plan for the part in which I was saying to reconnect to the breath. But I did think about aha at that moment. And so when I talked about how when we inhale, this is our own personal experience of life. And then as we exhale, we, we let go into the vastness of life. And I didn't plan that at all. And I, I myself brought had tears in my eyes because I just could really feel probably because I was meditating, right? Where the, the attention and the quality of the intention is unified. Right. And so in that, I could really feel that I was breathing out to all of you and then to all beings. Right? So this is the awe that I'm talking about. And of course, Actually, yay or awe isn't the last, right? Even though it's last in my agency, because what I'm proposing actually is that we acknowledge awe in our lives. So yay is to acknowledge the fullness of life, all of it, not just my here shelter in place experience, but the life, right? To really embrace our togetherness, our interconnectedness, because this is a really a global event, isn't it? It's affecting all of us. So as we face what's coming, let's connect with a sense of volition or agency through acknowledging what's going on, really our humanness, gratitude for each other and the efforts we're making individually and collectively, engage in accessing inspiration for ourselves and with each other, and then having a sense of now. A sense of urgency, which on another level you could say is engaging, right? In urgency, we, my sense is we want to keep engaging through connection, see, and then in awe for this precious, wonderful life. Oh, and then, um, in doing this, and I know it's a lot of it is because, um, I have heard about other people. Uh, you see it on TV too, how people, in apartment buildings or neighborhoods do things at a certain time every day so that the whole group is um, involved. So I was thinking what, you know, I'm not tech savvy. So I actually had asked my girlfriend about how this might be possible, but I thought as an inspiration um, is that for the next six days, we would, um, you're invited to enact each of these letters so um, we would do it on Instagram. You could just post a picture or a quote, or I think you can post little videos of yourself. So on Monday, we would post acknowledging something, right? What's going on, our humanness. Tuesday is a gratitude. Wednesday is engaging in something inspiring. Um, and then Thursday is now. Perhaps share a practice you're doing that day. Maybe a picture of yourself meditating, maybe washing the dishes and reciting a gatha. Um, Friday, how you're, you've connected today. Maybe just a picture of yourself meditating could also be connecting, I suppose, or petting your pet or kissing your partner, going out to nature, some sense that you're connecting. Um, and then Saturday would be off for this precious, wonderful life somehow. So if you want to engage in that, and remember, I'm not tech savvy, so this is something I'll be trying to. So on Instagram, we looked, 
And if you do the hashtag agency.a2z, two being the, le- uh, the number, then um, I think we will have our own hashtags. All right, so that's my offering. I'd love to hear your feedback. Could you repeat the hashtag for us? Thank you. Yeah, hashtag is, I have to look on the internet now. Hashtag agency, A-G-E-N-C-Y, dot, A, the letter, the number two, and then Z. So we'll start tomorrow with A. And what was the thing about the, I think it's a website about heroes or something? Oh, it's called bravemaker.com. Should I put it in the chat? I can do that, right? Let me go copy it. Thank you. Yep. Oh, yeah, and I could probably push the ha- put the hashtag on there too, right? I put it in there already, but I spelled it. I didn't put the dot in there, so I corrected. Okay. I'll put these other, the two links. See, that both of them? Yep. Then I push enter. There we go. Troy has his hand up. Unmute yourself and go. Hi. Leon, thank you so much for that talk. It is really helpful to remember all of those practices that you are listing off. Um, it's actually really great to be in connection with everybody here practicing at the same time. It's it's different. Uh, I was wondering if you might be able to share a little bit about how um, all the uncertainty in the world has impacted your personal practice. I think what I'm looking for <laughs> or what I'm in need of right now is recognizing that even well-practiced Buddhists may be having a hard time or, or just, you know, I just need a little bit of empathy of like, I'm really, I'm struggling with like, even listen to Dharma talks, anything that's recorded feels like past tense. It doesn't feel like live. So I just didn't know if there was, you know, if you might be able to share a little bit about if you've been having challenges personally with your practice or, so give me a little encouragement here. <laughs> Anyone on the call, like, I feel like I've had such a challenge. Would love to hear some other. Well, I'll share. Those who know me know, you know, I'm, I'm, Real, for lack of a better word right now. Uh, I'll tell you. So we were coming back from Mexico, and um, we were getting off the plane into L.A., right? And uh, <clears throat> my girlfriend and I, actually, it was a Dharma trip also, and then at the last minute, mm, mm, several people backed out, so there's only one student that came with. And um, they had a different plan or whatever on the plane, so they were up at the front, and we were at the back. And it was really interesting because they actually had us exit from the back onto, you know, remember those stairs that go out into the tarmac? I haven't been on one of those in a long time, right? So first they did that. Then they put on us on a um, uh, bus, right, to take us then to the international, right, to go through customs. And so the person was up front, and so we had text like, where are we going to meet? And then we got on the bus and just thinking, okay, we'll meet on the bus so we can go through customs together, right? But um, our bus started taking off. And so I had some anxiety about, like, how are we going to meet and, you know, holding my own anxiety and theirs. And then we go inside, and there were probably – there were two rows of – elderly Asian people with masks on in wheelchairs, 
right? And my girlfriend was like, let's wait here, right inside. And I was like, no, let's go wait over there, right? And um, and I, I realized, because I was like, I don't want to be by those people, you know? I don't want to be by them, and I had all this stuff. And I'm Asian, and I'm always talking about, you know, like, racism and it was to me though one of those internalized things where i was like <sighs> and you know a part of it is so much of the media not not so recently but in the beginning of course it did come from china we think so um but there was there was talk in the asian community about how the racism was every time they talked about it it was just like asian people were up there right so but i really internalized this and this is a problem with with you know media right um and so, you know, and I'm like, no, let's go wait over there. And then, you know, my girlfriend was standing by the other end. And I was like, no, I want to be on that side. And, you know, and then my girlfriend was like, you know what? They're probably mass because they're more worried about getting from you. Right. But I was just freaking out, you know, because my anxiety about meeting and that. So there's an experience. Right. I will say, luckily, by the time my student arrived, I had a little bit more stability. But I will say I was so frustrated because my also I was trying to text her and I cannot text very well. Right. And so my glasses were like steaming up from the face mask and stuff. And I just ripped it off because I was just like, I have to do this. Right. So their equanimity is a like everything is a fluctuating phenomena, mental state for sure. Does that help? Troy? Thank you so much. That's very validating. <laughs> so helpful. Thank you. This is why reconnecting, right? I, I, I myself think that the only difference, remember, well, one in Zen, we say that we're already Buddhas, right? That means we have the capacity to um, have a clarity of knowing and then to sustain that clarity, right? And to always then stay with our intention of non-harming, kindness, gentleness, right? And to me, a, a, a fully enlightened a Buddha, that's a Buddha, is one who can sustain that, right? I myself cannot sustain it, right? And so my practice is to um, be, you know, be kind to myself when I, I lost, have lost it, and then gentleness about how I can return to that instead of like, you know, forcing myself. And actually, to be perfectly honest, when I can acknowledge that I'm freaked out, that helps a lot. So that's, I think acknowledging is a, a big part. Yeah. Anyone else? And remember, I take challenges, so. In case folks don't know, whoever's calling in by telephone, you can press star nine to raise your hand. And if you're on Zoom, you open the participants tab and click raise your hand. Or you could just unmute yourself and speak up. Hello? Go, Cass. Okay. I have a, I don't know if it's a comment or just an observation that um, this idea that, uh, about obsessing, I mean, it seems to me like this constant need to monitor the situation now feels, is it an obsession or is it self-protection? Is it, is it sort of a realistic way to be in this, 
in this situation to sort of, sort of surf the, the, this phenomenon and, um, because knowledge is power to some extent, but I mean, it just feels, it feels both obsessive and necessary at the same time. Well, I think the, the key is the, um, the quality of the attention. And then the other part that's key is, are we able to stop? Right? So nobody can tell you that it's obsessive or not. Right? It's up to you to decide if it's obsessive. Um, and the way to know, in my opinion, the way to know that it's obsessive or compulsive is another way you put that, is that if I'm asked to stop, can I stop? Or if I know that it's causing more pain, like my stomach is churning, so maybe it's best to not do that, and then I can't find that I can't, then, then remember, it's not that it, it will make you suffer, right? It's not, there's nothing in Buddhism that says, then this will make you suffer, at least my understanding of Buddhism. Buddhism, it says, when there's obsessive energy and you're not able to stop, does it bring suffering to yourself or others? For instance, this morning, right? I, I love to watch the news, especially in the morning, and mostly because I'm obsessed about the weather, right? I always think, and then I, to be honest, this morning I turned on the weather, and I was like, it's raining, right? It's raining in San Francisco, and I'm like, maybe I don't need to be so obsessive about the weather because I am not going out, right? But the thing was, I was watching TV and my girlfriend said, can you turn that off, please? I've had enough, right? And then to be honest, I woke up this morning and I said to her, I would like to have some subtleness to gladden my mind this morning as I prepared for, you know, this meeting, this this event here. And so then she was, she was like, this is making me anxious. So if you would like my mind to be glad, please turn it off. Right. And I was able to turn it off. So if I was like, no, I need to know more. Right. And not take into her account of asking me to stop. Then, then I will say, you know, likely we would have had a fight or she'd get mad at me, or I think my needs are more important to her. This is where the possibility of suffering can happen. Does that kind of, so just in, in practical terms, because I've, I've had that issue arise, I've found it helpful and I seem to need to do it every, every, you know, at least for part of a day, every couple of days, I take a COVID-19 break. Uh, and that seems to be helpful. And also for me, and, and some of this in a, in some different way may affect other people. It's best for me not to do it late in the evening. Uh, shortly before going to bed when I, you know, awaken with obsessive, distressed thinking. And instead, actually, what I do in the, re- in the evening is read from the people that I found particularly helpful some Buddhist readings for a while, and that helps a lot. Well, that inspiration, yeah. So, so let me also bring up something, which is why I, I wanted to leave the meditation. I think that concentration, you know, seriously, as a practical practice, is that it helps you to be able to refocus, right? So much of concentration is you let go of what's going on and come back to this, come back. So this is where it helps with obsessiveness. If there's an energy obsessiveness, our practice is to then be able to redirect back to this, right? 
And what and what and then when when this and this is not giving you a sense of subtleness or is causing more harm, like if this is my anxiety, then it's possible then to gladden the mind by focusing on metta or focusing on gratitude or focusing on connectedness. Right? So so much of practice, right, is about see it's all really practical, right? It comes down to you're practicing learning to identify to build capacity to be with difficulty, and then in terms of concentration, to be able to focus where you need to focus your heart and mind. Plant and very Vipassana, let me just finish. A Vipassana is to how to reflect on things skillfully. Um, I, I, I have a question. Let me manipulate this thing. Um, you know, we're all going through this huge adjustment in our lives. Things are so totally different than they were a month ago. And um, a, a, one huge adjustment is Zoom. And we're talking about, in ways, which is like a godsend. I t- I'm, I'm glad we're technologically advanced enough where we're going to have Zoom in a situation like this. Uh, and I was just thinking, you know, part of your talk is about the isolation that we're experiencing now through this, this plague. Um, but it's also interesting how unexpected at least for me benefits happen from a change that that in some ways is viewed as negative i mean i, I miss the 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 one-on-one contact with the other p- people in uh, gbf during sunday you know you're talking at them social period and so on it's, it's nice it's, it's great actually but this is kind of a technical question too but i think zoom now i'm throwing this out to any kind of tech person out there um could anybody in the country uh, through Zoom or even in the world through Zoom, listen to the Dharma talks uh, if they know that that this exists, this option exists. Yes. Yeah, sorry, if they have the link to join, yes. Well, in some ways, that's exciting. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it means that the GBF speakers and the wisdom that they they share to us can be shared to thousands of people, not just to right people. There's no. But, Limit to the size of the room anymore. Yeah, yeah, right. And um, so I mean, that's, I'm just making that observation. I'm, I'm thinking that in, uh, in some ways, this could be a really exciting experience for for GPF to to we have such great speakers, mm-hmm. uh, of course, in, including Leanne. Would it be great if we had like a thousand people listening to, to Leanne's talk rather than just you know, like I said, thirty or forty people? So I, I find that actually rather exciting for GPF. Mm-hmm. Me too. And I will say, same thing with, um, like, what, you know, I'm not tech savvy, so again, I was consulting with Deb, um, about that hashtag thing, and she's like, well, do you want to make it private? And I'm like, no, the whole world can join if they want. You know, anybody who wants a hashtag, and then we can all see it, right? I think. I don't, that part I don't know. Right? Yeah, I want, I want this to be, oh, and may I go ahead and just say a couple of things is that, um, I'm in the process of trying, you know, I did lose a couple of class and events, uh, in person and then online too with an agency. Um, and I, and because people have approached me, I am trying to work on some stuff to offer, um, by donation only. So I will say an EBMC is, is trying to reconfigure things too. So next Saturday we will be doing a one day meditation online retreat on the four Brahma Viharas. And I've, I've 
made it so that you can come in and come out. Um, uh, so it will be from 9.30 to 3.30 with basically the first half hour's intro and then the first teaching on metta. And then we sit for 20, meditate for 20 minutes. Then there's 10 minute break. Then we meditate for 20 more minutes on metta. The second one will be much more open and you get to do your own thing. And then there's a 10 minute break. And then we come back 10 minute teaching on Karuna. Then we meditate for 20 minutes, 10 minute break, 20 minutes. So it's, and you can come in and come out. Lunch is like 30 minutes because we're all home. And so it's a, it's an opportunity to, to engage with practice. I will say in this reframing of the four noble truths, um, I, to me, the, the first noble truth is the hardest. So I'll just share that I've reframed it and I, I, um, I'm working with a Buddhist agency to really make it into something that hopefully is useful to us. And I've been doing an eight month course on the eightfold path on it and it's been really helpful. And I'm thinking about, I'm trying to figure out how to do it online to help specifically with this, the pandemic, because it starts out with that harm has happened, right? Or that I hurt. And then the second is, what are the conditions? So the first noble truth is usually, you know, in life there's suffering, right? So now we just take on suffering fully in the sense of we admit, we acknowledge that harm has happened. Or where is it that I hurt? Then the second is what are the, instead of just the cause of suffering, it's going to be what are the conditions that bring about, right? Both internally and externally. And that's what I think the condition part is really. It helps us to see what, what else besides an internal. So much I think of Western practices about internal experience. So I call these the engage for noble truths, by the way. So then the third is very much, you know, where, where's the agency, right? So the second, and, Kind of goes into the third, right? The cause and the, and the, classically the third is that there's an end to suffering or the end is possible or Tignahan likes to say the, the healing is possible. So in the third, it will be, where do I have agency? Now the third's hard because the third, usually to know where you have agency, you have to realize where you let go of agency. It doesn't mean that systems don't try to take that from us. Or impose it on us, right? So, so, of course, the third number three is the hardest because it's the where, where do we reframe our experience? Where do we can see that there is something here that I can do something about, right? Both internally and externally. And then the fourth, of course, is the eightfold path, but in a very engaged way. So I'm, I'm working on that. It's going to come online, I think, not this week, but next week. So in this format, it's all by donation. So if anyone's interested in that, uh, I don't know how, how we can do it, Jim, but, um, or if you're already on my email list or whatever. So I wanted to reply, um, in regards to this gladdening of heart idea that one thing that I've been, um, since this has begun, I've kind of been um, thinking about, there's a talk that Ram Dass g- gives or gave um, where he mentions uh, Aldous Huxley uh, when he was going through an LSD experience. And there's this part of me that keeps like pulling out of this experience and kind of observing it. And so this mantra that has come up for me that Ram Dass was talking that Aldous kept saying through the LSD experience was extraordinary. And just this whole experience of just kind of taking it in and being like, this is extraordinary on some level. Like, who knew that we would go through a pandemic ever in my lifetime? 
And so there's just moments where I just pull back and I'm just like, extraordinary. This is all so fascinating that what we're going through. And I think it connects to what Clint was talking about, about, yeah, we can have now thousands of people around the world joining us. You know, what is this opportunity? What is this moment in time? So I just constantly keep reminding myself that it's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So that's my, my gladdening of heart. Yeah, that's the awe I was talking about, for sure. There's a certain awesomeness in what's going on. Like the fact that it's global. You know, of course, that means a lot more people are harmed. And yet, we can see that we're all interconnected because this is, this is not about, you know, borders or ideology. Um, if I could, I raise my hand, uh, electronically there. So, um, I like the word extraordinary because it's extraordinary, <laughs> which I hadn't thought of. But, um, if I could go back to the thing about compulsiveness that you mentioned, Leanne, um, we all have our own ways where, how we deal with the compulsiveness or not. But I feel like a lot of people are compulsive because they feel like things are out of control. And they're worried about dying or they're worried about their loved ones dying or they're passing it on to their dying. And people will say, you know, I'm worried that I'm going to die or one of my family members is going to die. And I don't mean to be glib, but I just say, yes, everybody does. We are all going to die. And it just sort of frees me up to be like, you know, to recognize that basic, basic Buddhist teaching. So I just wanted to offer that. Sure, that's that's acknowledgement, which is the first noble truth is to acknowledge. We have one more. We have time for one more quick one. Okay, well, thank you very much for your talk. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Very inspiring. Connect with you all. All right. So announcements. Oh, announcements. Just unmute yourself. I can't see out. There's so many squares in front of me. I can't notice the hand. Donna. We can still do Donna online, right? That's right. Go to the website. I'm not on the about page or the donation page. There's a link. And you can pay via PayPal. You could also send checks. Uh, and we're going to put the address out there. The, uh, the GBF mailing address. Okay. I have an announcement. Great. Hello, everyone. It's Tom Bruin. Um, two, two announcements. Um, Clint, you mentioned, you know, we could have, like, huge numbers of participants. I think here on Zoom, somebody shared a message that we're limited to 100, at least in the live sessions. Um unless we expand our license or something. However, we have over 600 prior recorded Dharma talks on our website. They're audio only, but anybody can go access those. So, and regarding that, we are looking right now to turning that into converting it to a podcast format, which uh, the only difference is that you would be able to subscribe and then automatically in whatever podcast player you use, you would automatically be alerted when the new ones are uploaded. They would automatically download to your phone, you know, like say the last three sessions. And then they would 
cycle off so you wouldn't, you know, have this huge buildup of MP3 files on your phone. So look for that in the coming month, I guess. Um, and then secondly, I am transitioning our listserv from Yahoo groups over to Google groups. Uh, Yahoo is slowly dying on the vine. They're not supporting it anymore. It's becoming increasingly problematic. So please look for an email tomorrow from the old Yahoo group, if you're on that, uh, announcing it, and then look for an invitation immediately following that from the Google group so that you can join there. And I anticipate we will sunset or retire the Yahoo group um, mid-April. So please look for that. Thank you, Tom. And, oh, and I also want to say how much I miss gathering in person and Cass's great cookies. But um, one of the benefits of the Rona is that we all get to meet and meet back up, even though we're far flung, um, including Tage from wherever you are, Tage. So it's great to, great to see you all. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, I have a couple of announcements. Uh, on Wednesday, some of you know we've started a Wednesday evening uh, GBF Zoom meeting. Uh, we're calling it Zoom Live, uh, GBF Live at the moment. But it's, uh, we're thinking to make it more interactive and, uh, some similar format, you know, now it's tied back to Buddhism, but, uh, 7.30 to 9 on Wednesdays. And there will be an announcement about that with the link. Um, and next week's speaker is Trip Weil. Uh, Trip's been practicing the Theravadan tradition since 2004. He did advanced training at Spirit Rock. Uh, he sat on the board of the San Francisco Insight, and he teaches meditation classes. He's a psychotherapist in private practice. And let us know because he led our retreat in October. So join us next Sunday. Jeff, can you – I'm sorry. Can you repeat what, what the format is for the Wednesday night meetings? Uh, uh, we'll have a meditation at the beginning. Yeah. And then we're likely to do breakout groups or group uh, activities. And a closing. So it, it would be we're like. Still making it up. We're still uh, creating it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like what we did before this, where like once a month, it was just breakout groups. It wasn't a speaker. Is it, is it basically the same thing as that? Similar to that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we'll close with the dedication of merit. By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow, and may all live in equanimity, without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.